Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Final Girl on 6th Avenue podcast. My name is Carolyn Smith-Hilmer, and I am 6th Avenue's very own Final Girl, and this week I am the bearer of much bad, horrible, terrible news, because the movie that we're discussing this week is by far the only movie I would say in my adult life that has troubled me so deeply that I'm actually dreading recording this podcast and I was completely upset that I had to watch the film again just so I could talk to you about it. And for someone like me, I think that truly says a lot. Um, I put off recording this as long as I possibly could because I could not bear to even think about it. So apologies in advance for anyone who has seen this movie. And I want to go ahead and say this week, judging by the title, if you read it, we're talking about the 2016 film, The Eyes of My Mother. And the reason why this movie is so troubling, particularly to someone like me, is because... Um, the movies that we talk about on this podcast and that I enjoy watching the most are the movies in which you are not asking questions, right, of the world. You're not saying, wow, um, there's no way that this could happen in real life, right? We're only talking about things that, um, and movies that you just have to be willing to get lost in the world that the directors and the producers have made for you. It's, it's not, um, it's not meant to be looked at and said, well, this could never happen in real life, so I don't like it. And I think this movie very much could happen in real life, actually, so that's maybe more troubling. Um, but this is one of those, this is one of those movies, and this is a prime example of just sit back, relax, put your phone down. It's 77 minutes. It's literally just over an hour long. I promise you it will captivate your attention for that period of time and you will not even be thinking about looking at your phone. So that's that's a plus actually. That's something that you could look forward to. Um, so before we start out, um, I want to just say this podcast is brought to you by the Morbidly Beautiful Network, and please check out older episodes of my podcast and many other episodes of countless other pod- podcasts that the um, the network currently sponsors. So thank you so much to the Morbidly Beautiful Network. I'm very happy to be bringing you this episode, and let's get started. This is a 2016 release. The film is completely in black and white. It is in both English and Portuguese, um, being that one of the characters is Portuguese. And albeit there's not much dialogue in this movie, but the dialogue that there is, is deeply troubling. And the more dialogue there is, the more I found myself wishing there was even less of it because I just couldn't bear to listen to it. But um, like I said, it's only 77 minutes long, so it feels like an eternity longer than that. 
Our IMDb synopsis is, in their secluded farmhouse, a mother, a former surgeon, teaches her daughter, Francisca, anatomy and how life and death are not to be feared. One afternoon, a mysterious visitor shatters the idol of their family life and deeply traumatizes Francisca, but also awakens curiosities. Years later, Francisca clings to her increasingly distant father, but the trauma she sustained reawakens when her desire to connect with the world around her takes on a dark form. And I don't want to try and be, you know, I don't, I don't even want to attempt to say the name of the main actress. Um, I'm going to put it in the description, but I, I, I don't know how to pronounce it and I'd rather be respectful and keep it in writing than, than butcher it and not know how to say it. But this is also written and directed by Nicholas Pesch. So let's just... Let's just jump straight into the movie. It's it's a wild fucking ride. So buckle up. Right from the jump, something's clearly not right. But just to reiterate how desolate, you know, um, of a place this family lives in. We open with a scene of a man driving um, like an 18-wheeler, a semi-truck. And he is in a back road, a country road. There's literally nothing else around. And out of nowhere, he sees a woman in the middle of the street. And he honks for her to get out of the way. She doesn't move. And um, she actually just, like, lays down on the ground in the middle of the road. So he gets out of the car and goes to, um, to help her, runs back to the truck, and cut to the title screen, The Eyes of My Mother. A young Francisca is seen in the garden with her mom and her mom is telling her about um, St. Francis who seemingly she's named after Um, and her mom reiterates to her the story of St. Francis and how he had um, you know come down with some sort of illness of the eyes that he ultimately died from but before that had actually suffered from stigmata which if you don't know is is like bleeding from the places on the body in which Christ was said to have been nailed to the cross. So, you know, the palms of your hands and your feet um, and, and actually your eyes as well. And he, he St. Francis, um, his story is that he had seen something fiery in the sky, suffered sigmata and ultimately died. Um, from an eye condition. Eyes are a very prominent theme in this film. The eyes of my mother. There you go. This is part one or chapter one called Mother. And in this chapter, we're going to learn about all the things that Francisca learned from and dealt with regarding her mother. Um, her mom tells her small tidbits of life, like loneliness can do strange things to the mind and to be careful when picking certain things in the garden. Um, it's, you know, things that you do with your, with your mother. Um, they feed the cows and her mom talks about how 
the construction of a cow eye is so incredibly similar to a human eye. And she knows this because um, she was a surgeon by trade. And when she was living in Portugal, the movie takes place in the U.S. as far as we can tell. But when she was practicing as a surgeon in Portugal, she talks about how um, they used to practice on cows. So she takes a cow head, it's on the kitchen table, and she shows Francisca and tries to teach her about life and anatomy and death by looking at and dissecting animals, which, if you have to ask me, is honestly, like, that makes sense. I have, I really struggle personally with the fact that there's a dead fucking cow head on the table that you're supposed to eat at, and you're cutting it open and slicing it around, and also there's, like, a tablecloth underneath it, so that tells me that there's not a lot of bleach going on the table afterwards, which I really have a problem with, but anyway, she cuts the eye out of the cow and gives it to Francisca, and just make sure to reiterate, like, look at this, this is so incredible, everything that we see through the world comes through this lens. How incredible is that? So quick jump, Francisca is hanging out outside, she's playing as some kids do, I never did, um, outside really by myself, but she is playing outside, playing in some weeds, and a man approaches while her mom is inside, and this man is selling no idea like most really bad salesmen we have no fucking clue what he's selling but his name is charlie and um he immediately says hey is your husband here you know is francisca's dad here i i'm just curious um and her mom is like well he'll be home really soon but you know he's uh we're not interested in anything so please you know don't worry about this and Charlie's like, well, actually, I only really need to use the restroom. So um, I'm actually not going to try to sell you anything. I was just getting to know your daughter. But it'd be great if you let me in to use the restroom. And Francisca's mom is clearly very troubled by this. Um, but she lets him in anyway. I can tell you personally that I would never do that. I would not let a stranger. I don't even let the maintenance people that work in my apartment building come in my apartment when I'm not home. And that's not because I don't trust them. I just have a thing about people being in my space. I actually trust the maintenance people in my apartment probably more than I trust, I don't know, most people in my life, actually. So Charlie enters the home and um, <sighs> this actor is really incredible, I have to say. He... Okay, he wants to use the bathroom, right? That's that's the premise in which he entered the home. So he goes into the house and in the kitchen, Francisca and her mom stand together. And she's like holding on to her daughter dearly, obviously. And she's like scared. She's uncomfortable. Charlie says, where's the bathroom? So she says, it's, you know, in if you go to the living room and turn left, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, um, okay, can you show me where the bathroom is? And she's like, yeah, but it's, you know, really close. It's just around the corner. This is a really fucking small house. And Charlie's like, I really think you need to show me. So her mom is like, I mean... 
I'd rather you just leave because this is really, really strange. And obviously she's uncomfortable and he approaches, you know, more more closely. And he says, ma'am, I really need you to show me where this restroom is. And I'm only going to ask you one more time before I become unreasonable with you. So he pulls out a gun, holds it to um, Francisca's mom, and says, lead the way, you know, show me the fucking bathroom. She's scared. Francisca sits at the table. He doesn't have any interest in doing anything to her, seemingly. Pops finally fucking shows up, and Francisca is sitting at the kitchen table. Her dad's like, uh, yo, where's mom? She told Francisca to leave, but Francisca's like, dad, sorry, like, I couldn't leave her. I had to stay. So her dad walks around the house. He inevitably finds that this, like, laughing and pounding noises are coming from the bathroom. So he goes in the bathroom and sees Charlie bludgeoning the mom in the bathtub with the gun. Now, we're all wondering, they're in the middle of nowhere. Nobody's going to hear it. Why did he not shoot her with the gun versus bludgeoning her with the gun? I, listen, I didn't write the movie, but this question in particular keeps me up at night. So Francisca's dad pissed as one would be. He decides, okay, you know, gut reaction. I'm going to knock this guy out. So he knocks Charlie out, takes him to the barn, and ties him up out there. Um, meanwhile, they haven't touched the body yet, uh, but but Pops decides he's going to have a cigarette and some liquor on the couch and watch some TV before he decides to take care of any of that stuff, um, which, I don't know, maybe your priorities are different than mine, perhaps, but... Um, Francisca is like, you know what? I'm going to get to work because this is really troublesome. So she's mopping. She's on the floor. She's on her hands and knees. She's trying to clean everything up. Later that night, um, one, you know, some of the very few words that her dad even says in this whole entire movie is like, so, uh, hey, 11-year-old, are you going to get off your ass and help me move your mom's dead bloody body out of the bathroom um, outside so we can bury her. Cool. Thanks. So, I mean, normal childhood stuff. Really, this happens to everyone. So she gets up and she's like, okay, fucking fine. I'll help you. So they go do that. When they get back inside and they decide they're going to sit on the couch and watch some TV, um, I don't know if you remember, but there's a man in the barn And so, uh, it's Charlie. Anyway, he's calling for Francisca. He's calling her by name. So that's really nice and not weird or scary at all. She's completely unfazed by the whole thing. And her dad says, you're going to have to take care of that. Whatever the fuck that is supposed to mean. So she goes and she sits outside of the barn and just like watches the door and, and waits, you know, to... I I don't know, figure out what the fuck she's supposed to do. So her dad comes out, I guess, I, who knows what he did when he was in there. Like, it's so strange to me why her dad decided to 
keep the guy instead of just like kill him i like whatever shortly thereafter francisca decides to go pay uh good old charlie there in the barn a visit and um when she does she goes in and she starts like dressing his wounds she's like yo you needed some stitches and honestly the stitch job she's doing is something that i can only imagine is probably like the worst fucking stitch job you could ever do it looks like she's doing more harm than good but i'm not a doctor and um she decides to exchange in some friendly conversation with our pal charlie here a very intellectual man who says that um it feels fucking amazing to kill people and I did this to you because you let me come in the house. He asks Francisca just to like double check, like, you're going to kill me, right? I mean, that's, that's what I can only deduce would be what's going to happen here. She's like, mm, no, actually, I, I'm not going to kill you because you're my only friend. And that's a weird thing to say to somebody who just, you know, beat your mom to death with a gun, but that's not the point. So she dresses up his wounds and then is like, actually, you know what? I got something better. I'm going to take your eyeballs out and I'm going to cut your vocal cords out. And that will make you much more enjoyable to be around. Charlie, Francisca is so smart and compassionate and um, clearly very empathetic. So, in order to please her dad, she comes back in, um, she puts the Ziploc bags of eyeballs and vocal cords in the refrigerator because, um, I don't know, maybe her dad likes to eat human eyeballs, I'm not sure, and goes and sits on the couch and says, Dad, he's not gonna be loud anymore, and I love you. And her dad just, again, like I said, he's really quiet, didn't say anything. We see her dad kind of, he's, he, you know, he's struggling to stay awake at night. He's clearly very, or he's, sorry, he's, he's just troubled, right? Like he's struggling to sleep at night, which is what I meant. And he's, you know, in the bathtub, you know, staring off into space. He's very zombie-like. I can only imagine that this is just something that scares him. So... I think he's scared of his daughter more than anything. Um, like, he tells her to take care of something, and she's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. So I'll just cut his vocal cords and his eyes out. Dope. Proud moment. So Francisca starts discovering, like, I guess if I'm going to keep this Charlie guy alive, then I'm going to have to feed him. So she finds, like, dead rats and birds and stuff outside and just feeds him to Charlie with a spoon. And again, I'm not sure why she's keeping him alive. I have no idea. In what can only be described as a truly beautiful moment, um, Francisca shares a nice dance in the living room with her dad. Cut to chapter two, titled Father. A, uh, I would say, teenage young adult. Francisca is sitting on the edge of her father's bed with her father's dead ass body. Completely dead. She is again unfazed. She is. You just can't help but feel just horrible for her. I mean, just nothing goes right in her life. It's horrible. So, 
Yeah, but I guess that's um, such is life, right? So she picks some, you know, weeds and flowers and sits outside and talks to her mom and says, Mom, I know you're with me in a very touching moment. And um, she does some cleaning, you know, just some housekeeping items. She feeds Charlie. And somehow it appears that just a slight plot hole here that um, Charlie looks exactly the same, like down to the special effects on his face, even though it appears that um, Francisca is like, I don't know, 15 years older at this point. So again, not my movie. He looks disgusting. He looks horrible. She combs his hair. She feeds him. She takes care of him. And then she takes care of herself by sitting down at the dinner table to um, eat a nice dinner. But back on the couch, um, Pops, his dead body is there and she is um, turning on the TV for it and covering up with him with a blanket on the couch and smiling and and she's kissing him and his body is stiff and uh, he can't fucking move and very odd. He's just staring at the ceiling. She says that she misses him and she takes him and gives him a bath. Again, he's fucking not alive. Just want to reiterate that. So, um, yeah. She gets in a bath, but she gets in the bathtub with him and um, says, I miss you, and obviously I don't want you to go, but she gets in the tub and just holds him. I mean, she's so lonely. She's so sad. It's it's absolutely heartbreaking, and it's so kind of beautiful, actually, these scenes with her, with her dad, um, because you can really tell how much this loneliness is impacting her at this point. This whole time, his eyes are open, and she clothes him in some pajamas, and um, I guess in an attempt to spend one last night with her dad... She uh, sleeps in, in the same bed as him and, um, you know, takes her fingers and, and actually physically closes his eyelids so that he can rest. And if you thought things were bad, this is where they get much, much worse. And by the way, we're not even close to halfway through. So in what appears to not be the first time that Francisca has driven a car... She is out and about and decides, hey, I'm going to go to a bar. That's where you meet people, right? That's where people meet people. And what better thing than someone who's fucking lonely than to go out and meet someone? So she goes to Donna's Bar, which very oddly looks like the bar from uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. So I'm just going to throw that out there. If you know, you know. Um, we aren't sure what Francisca's sexuality is right because she we've never seen her interact with other people but at the bar she meets a woman named Kimiko and Kimiko and Francisca go back to Francisca's house it's a cute house but it's you know old obviously I mean everything in it is old and Kimiko is kind of like charmed by everything and she's like yeah this is kind of cute um but then she learns that she she uncovers that Francisca's mom was murdered and then Francisca doesn't help her case by saying like 
oh, well, you know, like, ha, I killed my dad. <laughs> Even though that's literally not funny. Um, and the whole time that this encounter is going on, I'm just, like, begging Francisca to not open the refrigerator. Oh, my God. We have no idea what's still in there. Like, no clue if, you know, Charlie's eyeballs and stuff are in there. Like, I don't know what she does with these things other than hold on to them. So anyway, Kimiko is really uncomfortable. She's like, okay, if we're not going to bang, I'm going to leave. Um, and Francisca doesn't really like that option. So anyway, Kimiko gets the kibosh. Um, yeah, she, yeah. She goes to call her mom to come pick her up from Francisca's house, which I'm thinking all the, like, this house is in the middle of absolute nowhere, so I have no clue how anyone's going to find it. Um, and Francisca's like, no, 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 I'll take you home. Like, it's fine. I'm really sorry. Like, please don't leave. I'll drive you home, though. And then, you know, maybe we can talk again soon. So, uh, yeah, cut scene to Francisca mopping up the floor on her hands and knees, blood everywhere, and she has taken to, again, dissecting things in the kitchen that don't need to be done there because it's unsanitary and it's fucking disgusting. So she bags up some of Kimiko's body parts and um, puts them in the refrigerator. Again, I don't know what she's doing with these. I don't know if she's eating them. The movie is in black and white so honestly i have no idea I, like i can't even tell what's what she wakes up in the middle of the night though and she can't sleep so she goes to hang out with charlie in the barn and um she's touching him she's kissing him she's holding him i cannot imagine how bad this dude smells at this point but she clearly really needs some company really needs some attention and some just some human interaction, like on a, even on a basic level. So she decides that it would be best if Charlie were to be unchained and to come and sleep in um, her bed with her in the house. And she gives Charlie a bath. She removes his um, bandage from around his eye that I'm pretty sure has like never been removed um she cleans him and gets him into the bedroom with her she takes off all her clothes as if she thinks that he can see her even though we are certain that um he can't because she made sure that he can't see anything not even her and she wakes up the next morning you know puts a kind hand on the pillow next to her to find out that Charlie is gone. That's right, folks. Charlie said, wow, you unchained me. I'm getting the fuck out of here. So very nervously, she walks around and tries to find him. I think she was under the impression that if she showed him some kind of, um, like, I don't want to say love, but maybe just some care, some compassion, um, took care of him, right? Even on a basic level that he would never leave. But obviously that's not true. So she looks out the window to find Charlie tiptoeing. He can't see. He hasn't been outside. He doesn't know what the outside looks like and he doesn't have a voice because his vocal cords are gone. So he can't scream. 
he's like, I think he thinks that he's moving quickly, right? Because, I mean, seemingly he hasn't even walked in years. So it doesn't take much effort for her to go and catch him. As soon as she catches up with him, she gives him a few nice stabs in the back with a good knife and um that sounds metaphorical but it's not she feels backstabbed for him leaving but she actually literally physically stabs him in the back many 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 times and um you know i personally think there's no better way to teach someone a lesson right and i think francisca is of the same the same house of thought so Charlie can't scream. He can only gasp. I mean, he makes very, very faint sounds. And um, with her hands covered in blood, she embraces him to show him, like, oh, I'm doing this because I love you. She does go ahead and, and give Charlie the satisfaction of knowing that he was right and that killing someone definitely feels good to her. So... I'm sure Charlie feels very vindicated in this moment to know that he was right all along all these years later. But the catch is, Pops, I have no idea where she's been keeping this body the whole entire time. But her dad's body is literally still here. I mean, it's at this point, it's just in the sitting room because older houses had a sitting room and a living room. It's just in the sitting room and she's dancing and, and she's preserving it. I mean... For fuck's sake, I don't understand how she has room for all this stuff. Francisca decides at this point it's time to get to chopping. And um, she's going to cut her father's body up and she's going to burn it. She definitely makes sure, though, to take his wedding band off of his finger and to wear it. Because that certainly seems like the most logical thing to do. So she has a fire reminiscent of the great fire in the sky that her mother told her about regarding St. Francis. And she sleeps in the woods um, under a large tree while crying and, you know, trying to speak to her mother's spirit. Mom, please help me. I'm so lonely. I don't know what to do. She walks around in the forest for a while and she's like, okay, I need to get back to my house. So she walks towards the highway and um, in the same vein of good things happen to, um, or sorry, bad things happen to good people. Good things also happen to bad people, right? Because they don't really deserve it, but like it somehow happens for them anyway. So there's a truck that just so happens to be driving by And this is where we move on to chapter three, family. In this truck, we have driver Lucy, who is the mother of an infant, very small child, um, still in a car seat, sucking on a pacifier. It's also in the front seat of the, the truck, which I know, I know you're not supposed to do that. But maybe I'm wondering if there's any legal reason why you couldn't if, you know, the truck only has a front seat and and no back seat. I'm not sure. Anyway, Francisca fawns over this baby and she's like, oh, my God, he's crying. I please don't let him cry. And, And is it okay if I hold him for just a second? And Lucy's like. I mean, yeah, he just kind of got settled, but sure, you can hold him. 
because uh, we made we made new friends today. Francisca's like, okay, now here's where I perform my magnum opus. I'm going to thank my mother, um, her spirit, for giving me this child. And I'm going to take this baby and I'm going to sprint inside the house. So Lucy's still in the car, but um, after Lucy finds her way out of the car, she runs in the house to find that Francisca has her child in um, the bedroom. After a nice sneak attack stab to uh, Lucy's back, she she's incapacitated. I mean, she's in pain, and I the manner in which she was stabbed, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, please. But the moral of the story is that the baby's upset. Lucy's upset. Francisca? Not upset. That's the key ingredient, right? We just want to keep her happy. So, Francesca is decided she's decided that she's going to take lucy out to the barn and lucy is going to live the life of charlie because i don't know why wouldn't you lucy has her eyes and vocal cords removed as well again that can that is really the only option and at this point we get this this a horrible shot. I mean, it actually, sorry, it's a good shot. It's just, it's horrific of Lucy's face freshly after she's had her eyes removed and just the blood that is dripping down her face and how she's trying to make noise, but she physically cannot because her vocal cords have been removed. Now with Charlie gone, mom gone, dad gone but lucy we have what is arguably the most upsetting and disturbing scene in all of cinema history which is a series of shots of lucy attempting to scream and you know trying to feel her way around the room it is nothing short of an absolute nightmare the sounds that she is making are not not human they're i actually muted the the movie during this scene when i watched it the second time because i i can't watch it it's too much but who knows how many years later this is our child that we've kidnapped whose name is antonio is older he's maybe i don't know 10 11 and he watches francisca who he thinks is his mother from afar as she leaves the barn and walks back to the house like he knows there's something kind of there and the things that are on the TV are constantly, like, they're constantly things that are also going on within the movie. So it's a little meta in that way, where the people in the TV are discussing things like, there's no phone, there's no electricity, there's no way out, there's, you know, the, if it were a, if this were to be a jail cell, it would have, you know, better bars than a jail would, and... Antonio refers to Francisca as mom, and they speak to one another in Portuguese. So our adolescent age, Antonio, has 
become very curious of what's going on in this barn that his mom goes to and from every day. Teddy bear in hand, he decides he's going to go find out for himself in the middle of the night. So he goes. What he finds is a uh, person. He doesn't know that that's his mom. Chained up and can only make these hissing sounds. He tries to comfort and calm himself by saying that it's just a dream. The next morning, whenever Francisca brings food and water, which are brought in these uh, stainless steel buckets to Lucy for, you know, survival, she, (laughs) Francisca is caught off guard because she opens the barn door to find that Antonio is standing there and he's like, mom. Who is that? Who is that person? What is that person doing in this barn? Like, and she is just so, you can tell she never got this far in her planning because she seemingly never planned anything. All she says is like, just don't go in there. I told you never to go in there. Blah, blah, blah. But I don't know how you can ever erase the, uh, (laughs) you can't erase the image of, of a person like that. So she prays, she prays to her mother, asks for help, and later that night is seen, you know, laying on the bed with her son and telling him, I would do anything for you, I would die for you, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you, I love you. But now it's showtime for Lucy, because she has determined that she's going to get the fuck out of that barn. Later that night, Antonio goes back. Teddy bear in hand, again, because that will keep him safe. And deductive reasoning tells me that he assisted in unchaining or, like, unlocking Lucy from these chains because she is able to walk and move. And I know that I said that just recently there was a scene that was probably one of the most horrific scenes in all of cinema history. But I implore you to uh, consider this next scene as maybe one of the most profound and innovative, maybe not innovative, that's probably not the right word, but just important scenes, which is one that Lucy is opening the barn door, but all we get is this like off to the side angle, almost at an oblique angle. And all we can see are the fingers of Lucy's hands wrapping around the edge of the door to push it open. And it's just so intelligently filmed. I could watch that scene for days. The next day, Antonio and Francisca talk and she sees that the door to the barn is open. So she goes to investigate. Now, remember that scene at the very beginning where there's a man driving a semi-truck and he sees a woman in the road? We're back there. So, Lucy has made her way to this highway and she's walking down the middle of the road hoping for a car to come by. She has chains still. They're not clipped to anything, obviously, because she was able to leave. But they're still, the cuffs are still around her. So, this man comes out. She lays in the middle of the road to inform the man that she needs help and he stops to help her and at this time back at the house Francisca is you know 
trying to reassure her son, I believe, or her quote unquote son of how things are going on in the world. And she's just like, you know, things in the world are happening as they should be happening. And, you know, basically implying everything happens for a reason. But also there's a sense of sadness in everything that she does. And I, I believe that she, at this point, knows that things are coming to an end. She admires herself in the mirror for a second, but then we get a cut super fast to her dragging the shovel out into the woods and she is digging. You may be wondering, what is she digging if she hasn't killed anyone else? Well, I'll have you know, she's digging up her mother's body, which is basically just a skeleton now. And she's holding it and saying, I miss you. I wish you could meet Antonio. He's perfect. I want all of us to be together again. Blah, blah, blah. All the things that you say to your mother's corpse when you dig it up in the middle of the night. On her way back to the house, Francisca notices that there is not one, not two, but three cars pulling up to her house. And she runs inside to grab a big old knife and her son. Again, quote unquote son. So she knows that something bad is about to go down. Shit's about to happen and oh no, it's the cops. Lucy managed to um, somehow communicate with no vocal cords, I guess, that her son was in this house and maybe there was something happening here. Francisca vehemently tries to protect her son, but it's just, it's game over at this point. She's telling the cops, you can't take my baby, you can't take him, even though we all know it's not hers to begin with. And uh, the movie ends with an aerial view of the top of the house and a gunshot. And that is The Eyes of My Mother. All right, it's a short movie, okay? So there's no need to drag out the analysis, honestly, or the in-depth discussion. Few things I think are worth noting. From the very beginning, being that this movie was told in chronological order of Francisca's life, it's kind of nice to see it that way, actually, because rather than showing us her as an adult, we get to see her evolve over time rather than seeing her as an adult and question how she was when she was younger and how those experiences in her younger life have shaped her adult life. I can appreciate that. Francisca's mom tells us from the beginning, like, you know, your, your, um, your patron saint, your namesake saint, St. Francis is the focus is all about the eyes and how he sees things. And he was the first person uh, reportedly to receive the stigmata, which would be the bleeding from the eyes. And what's interesting about that is that she tells her that story. She tells Francisca that in conjunction with the fact that, Hey, um, Loneliness drives people to do crazy shit. And it is through Francisca's loneliness that she seeks out 
all of these interactions with people that they just don't ever end well. I mean, she keeps she keeps her father's dead body in the house. She keeps um, Charlie chained up for like two decades in the barn. And honestly, there's seemingly no reason why she keeps Lucy. I mean, if she has Lucy's son, then you don't really need Lucy anymore. I I think that Francisca's character is one in which she kills not because she wants to necessarily, but does it as like a final resort. And she knows that by the taking of these people's lives and their souls, that she has that power. She has that control. Not only that, but how can someone leave you? Right? They can never leave her. They can never move on to love another person. They can never go on to lead a different life. They are permanently with her. And even through all of these actions, you know, she keeps her father's wedding band and she digs up her mother's corpse in the middle of the night to give it some hugs. She chops up Kimiko's body and keeps the body parts in the refrigerator. I mean, all these things she does so that people can stay close to her. And she so desperately wants to be loved. It's so interesting that the movie goes from mother, father, family in terms of the chapter titles. And so the only thing she was missing was a family, right? She didn't have a mother anymore. She didn't have a father anymore. At that point, she didn't have a, you know, anything. She didn't even have Charlie. So it only makes sense to, after learning how deeply she loved her mother and loves her mother throughout the entire film, that she chooses to or or looks for that type of love that 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 love that's inexplicable i mean it's so different than any other type of love she's tried everything else right like the love of her mother was taken the love of her father was taken charlie she killed because he tried to leave and he didn't love her and he proved that to her by getting the fuck out and lucy again that one's not i can't readily explain that one Antonio, though, what love is more pure and more basic on on a level uh, than the love of a child to to their their parent? And so for her, I think she saw this as a way to say like, okay, yeah, if I can just get this kid, then I will be so set for life. Um her whole entire existence is just I mean it was destined from the very beginning it was something that we knew was going to happen it was something she likely knew was going to happen she's seen dancing to um, a photo in in the scene where she has her father's body in the in the sitting room in the chair and and photo is a portuguese type of music that is supposed to be sad. It's supposed to convey like a feeling of deep, deep sadness with regard to um, 
like a life experience or like what you're destined to have in your life. It's supposed to be very deeply felt. And, and I think that really just perfectly wraps up her entire existence. Nature is very clearly a huge part of her life. St. Francis was, you know, the, the patron saint or the saint um, that represents ecology and the environment and an unconditional love for animals and curing and in a way I think that being that this whole movie takes place in nature right I mean she is she's always with animals she's longing for people I, I and she in a way she's like using this saint-esque you know, practice and love for human and love for connection and love for animal to like feed herself, to get herself into, into a place where she feels like she's okay and she's worth something and she's even slightly fulfilled. And that's really, really, really sad. Um, I, en- I enjoy this movie. I hesitate to even say that because it's something that is so incredibly disturbing to watch. I've seen it be classified as pseudo-intellectual and gothic and simply just black and white. And I think the option to use um, black and white, honestly, was... Although I will say it was an artistic choice because it was... It definitely adds like a sense of uncertainty and difficulty to watching the movie. Like it makes it that much more disturbing because we're not, we're seeing things, yes, but for Francisca, everything is black and white. It's, I'm going to keep you chained up, otherwise you'll leave. Or I'm going to kidnap your child because I don't have one. Everything for her is very plain and simple. Whereas for us, the audience, things are a little bit more convoluted. So these are things to definitely think about tonight when you're going to sleep. And that is where I'm going to end this week's episode. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I will be back in two more weeks. I hope you enjoyed this one. This one is definitely, definitely difficult. Um, but it's, Like all the movies we talk about, it's worth it. So thank you so much for listening. This has been the Final Girl on 6th Avenue podcast. I will talk to you all very, very soon. And please do not forget that I am 6th Avenue's very own Final Girl. Bye. (laughs) 